welcome to the podcast. My name is Thomas J. Sotvet. And I'm your co-host, Vicky Sotvet. Which makes this the Camp Crystal Lake Campfire sing-along show, Scaredy Cats. Cassette tapes on sale now at your local records bin. For 99 cents. 99 cents pop. And we'll throw in a bobblehead of Jason Voorhees. Bag, bag Jason, I guess. Is uh, he actually in the movie this time? He is in the movie this time. He's the, he's the main guy. And we're, we're about to talk about why that's strange. Uh, so, so, Vicky, I don't really have a great uh, intro for this one, so can I run a theoretical scenario past you instead? Something tells me it's not theoretical, but sure, go for it. All right. So say you're a Hills Have Eyes-style mutant child, right? I'm a what now? You're, like, Hills Have Eyes, kind of, like, radioactive, like, Fallout Super Mutant, like, baby child. Okay, right? I understand enough of those words to kind of know what's going on. Good, because I threw a lot of them in there in hopes that you'd at least pick up on a few of them. Uh, all right, so, right, you're, you're one of those kids. Cool. And you're at summer camp, right? And you end up drowning at summer camp because the camp counselor is busy getting it on. Yeah? You follow? So, uh, so your mom, Betsy Palmer, or as she's known by night, Pamela Voorhees, goes on a multi-decade long killing spree at said summer camp. Yeah? Okay. So, but hold the phone. Plot twist. You didn't drown. And the lake at all. Uh, you swam to shore or something, but instead of returning to camp, you decide to go live in the woods. And instead of making your presence known to your mom, you instead watch her every step of the way on her multi-decade long killing spree until she's decapitated via machete. As you do. Obviously. Because why would you do any reasonable thing? Um, so you follow. And now say all those things happen. What is your next move as said mutant baby man-child in this theoretical scenario? Again, I don't think this is a theoretical... But what would be your next move if all of those things came to pass in that exact way? I'd probably go find Bigfoot. All right, so then you already do better than Jason Voorhees, because Jason Voorhees goes on a killing spree much like his mom. Uh, which means we're covering Friday the 13th Part 2, y'all. Uh, yeah, it's... This movie, it, it's a stretch. <laughs> As you can clearly tell by my long, drawn-out... Uh, kind of introduction there it introduces jason Voorhees as our killer but assumes that he didn't drown in the lake but then you kind of gotta wonder what he was doing in the woods surviving off pine cones and stuff i guess he's clearly surviving off the wild animals he kills with his exceptional machete skills well but he doesn't even have a, a machete yet so like i i don't know well fuck thomas i don't know i don't know either Snares? Snares the, are good survival skills. The movie claims to know, but it doesn't. It just kind of glosses over it. And this is a thing that we're going to find often in especially franchise-heavy horror films where you've got lots of different films. They tend to, like, gloss over what happened in the last movie or whatever and try and, in a contrived way, connect it all. But I find it almost never works out well. And this is, unfortunately, one of the kind of worse cases, I think, because it pretty much retcons a lot of stuff. Or you have to suspend your disbelief a lot to kind of accept that Jason's been alive and well this whole time, not at all attempting to reconnect with his mom or anything. Anyway, uh, so Friday the 13th, part two, uh, was directed and produced by Steve Miner. Uh, he also directed... Movies, uh, I think he directed Friday the 13th Part 3, Lake Placid, Halloween H2O, which is the seventh film in the series, and House, which is a very, very strange film that I, like, 
It's one of those movies, like, you know how you saw it when you were a kid, but it was so strange that you weren't sure whether or not it was a dream or not until you became an adult and Googled it and were like, oh, shit. Like the toaster movie. Exactly. Brave Little Toaster Oven? Is that the one with the toaster that, like, goes to Mars? Yeah. Brave Little Toaster Oven. I was convinced for years I hallucinated this all in a fever dream. I hallucinated the house was a fever dream, but it's not. It was directed by (laughs) uh, Steve Miner, in fact. Uh, it was written by Ron Kurtz, who is also the character creator for Friday the 13th Part 3 and Friday the 13th The Final Chapter Part 4. The Final Chapter was not. They went on to make more. Well, are there 13 of them? No, uh, there's eight I, gu- eight, I guess. Oh, that'd be really satisfying if they made 13 Friday the 13th movies. Well, just you wait, because remakes are a thing. I mean, there is a remake, so I don't is know. Is it Friday the 14th? No, it's still just it's just Friday the thirteenth, and it like and Jason Padalecki in it. They let him loose from Supernatural long enough to be in a movie. Just to be in just to be in Friday the thirteenth though, and then they were like, "You get back in that one car everybody likes, and you go die and be resurrected by God or something." I don't watch Supernatural. It's a Chevy Impala, is the car? Chevy Impala, right? The one that everybody loves. It's an Impala. Yeah, Jason Padalecki in the remake. He plays a brother that's trying to look for his sister. I'm pretty sure Supernatural is ending this season. I thought it already ended. Put that horse out of its misery. It it's died. not even the horse. They're beating, like, the skeleton of the grandson of the original dead horse. Well, I think the actual bones of the skeletons, or the skeletal horse, have, like, long away been grinded down to dust. And they're just hitting it, hitting the spot where they think it decomposed. It's, but it's the ground. It's not even the spot anymore. So back to Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, right. So, uh, so it stars Amy Steele as Ginny, who is our final girl. Uh, John Fury as Paul. Uh, Adrian King comes back as Alice Hardy for a little while. And Betsy Palmer uh, appears a little bit as well as Pamela Voorhees. And we have Steve Daskiewicz. And Warrington Gillette, like the Razor, uh, both kind of playing the role of Jason. Uh, Warrington played the unmasked Jason, and Steve was the stunt double. Oh, yes. I was like, did they just switch? Like, well, you'll, you'll find a lot of that, that in horror films, especially like if they go on to make more sequels. No, the, no, I forgot about the mask thing. Yes, is yeah. what I'm saying. So I yeah. was like. How do you have a character that's played by multiple Yeah, yeah. No, generally, when you have like the likes of Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, um, you they they switch up. It's generally yes. whoever can perform the stunts, uh, you get to be you get to be the killer for the yes. movie. Fun fact. Yes. Did you know Chris Evans in Marvel has to do all his own stunts because he runs so weird? Oh. They cannot find another human being who runs the same way Chris Evans does. So Chris Evans had to, like, learn how to do all his own stunts. Well, and spoilers for those of you who haven't seen Endgame yet, I don't think that's going to be a problem anymore. Unless he's going to be old man running around. There's a, there's a whole lot we could say about that, but this is not a Marvel film podcast. This is not a Marvel film podcast. So more about Friday the 13th Part 2. Uh, it had a budget of 1.2 million uh, estimated around there, and it's since made 21.7 million. So pretty good investment. Uh, a couple quick factoids about the movie before we actually go and watch it. After the release of Friday the 13th Part One, Friday the 13th Part One, uh, Adrian King, who plays Alice Hardy, experienced a pretty bad stalker situation with a fan. It got bad enough that when they asked her to come back to play Friday Part Two, uh, she said she only wanted to be on screen for a very short period. 
Uh, since then, she's avoided kind of appearing on screen, but she does do a lot of voice work. But I also saw that it might have been because her agent wanted too much money. The internet seems to kind of disagree on why it is she didn't come back uh, for a more extended period of time. Uh, So that's unfortunate. Don't stalk people. It's shitty and bad. Um, And Friday Part 2 is the only time in the series where Jason is at all played at any point by a woman. Uh, Costume designer Ellen Lutter plays him briefly at the start of the film when only his legs are visible. So it's a it's a lady playing Jason. Well, you know, you got to have those shapely calves. Mm-mm. Jason sporting some of them lo- legs that go all the way up again. As what does what does legs that go all the way mean? Where are they we, going? When you know, will they get there? You know, Do they need a map? I had this exact conundrum when we were talking about Tremors because that's how Kevin Bacon describes... I, I swear Kevin Bacon's going to get name-dropped in every episode of this podcast. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Uh, Steve Darskowitz, I am so sorry if I'm saying that name wrong, uh, was actually hit in the hand with a machete by accident by Amy Steele during one of the final scenes and had to go to the hospital. And at that point, he had performed another stunt and hadn't quite had enough time to undress him. So he walked in, in addition to a gibbled hand, with what appeared to be a machete through his shoulder. And apparently he just walked into the emergency room and, like, all the doctors just kind of like dropped whatever they're doing and were like, oh God, oh no. And he had to be like, no, it's okay. This is a prosthetic. It's actually just my hand. But anyway, so he, he walked into the emergency room with a machete through him, which is pretty funny. Um, my final factoid is in, a, in total, 48 seconds of film were cut from the original release to avoid an X rating. Most of it was just like lingering on like gore or there was an entire death scene, I believe, that was removed entirely. Uh, that has never been seen ever, in, in, even in uncut versions, it, it does not exist. But it was apparently a huge bummer. It was a scene where two people get impaled, and mm. apparently it was really a lot of fun to do. And the cast and crew really enjoyed doing it, and said it was one of the better scenes in the movie. But they had to cut it to avoid the X rating. Uh, additionally, a sex scene in it had to be cut short and censored slightly because the actress in it was a minor at the time. So that's a little bit more of a reasonable. That's awkward. Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit more reasonable to have censorship yeah. and uh, to cut things short for sure. I'm I'm on board with not having minors in sex scenes. Me too. Me it's too. Okay. Uh, so those are my fast facts about this film. There's numerous more, uh, but before we leave you guys to go and watch this movie, I should ask Vicky what Vicky knows about Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Uh, Jason's actually in this movie. Mm-hmm. Which seems to me, if you're going to have a main movie villain, he should be in the first movie. But... To be fair, at the time, I don't think they realized they were launching a franchise. I think he has a machete, and I'm pretty sure they're at summer camp again. You're just looking at me. That's, yeah, that's it. That's all I got, I'm man. I'm not confirming, don't denying anything, as per usual. As per the 1947 report on aliens. What? Oh, oh, like Blue Book. Got it. Yes. Okay, I was like... You mean Aliens by James Cameron? No, what? no, I mean the American government's report on whether or not there were extraterrestrials. Right, right, right. Was which, that they could neither confirm nor deny. Which, like, come on, confirm, obviously. When you come out and say anything, I can neither confirm nor deny, it means yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, that's part one of Friday the 13th, part two. And so we'll be back with part two of Friday the 13th, part two. In just a second, uh, after we go watch it. So, here we go. 
All right, and we are back from camp again for the second time. One of probably many times. Are there a lot of movies at camp? We established this last last episode, yes. There are many, many, many movies at camp. So we're probably going to be back from camp a lot. We're about to be some avid campers. I've never been an avid camper. No? No. Well, that's a shame because camping is where it's at. If you want to be killed, apparently. I don't, so... Right should then. I not go camping? Probably shouldn't go camping then. Okay. If horror films are to be believed, then there is no more dangerous place to be than out camping. So, you know, I went to a camp every year from first grade to twelfth grade, and I was a counselor at that camp, and never once was anyone murdered. And you were murdered not even once. Wow. That was a strange way to phrase that. <laughs> you're right. I was murdered not even once. It was on purpose phrased that way because I'm a strange feller. Uh, so anyways, we are back from watching Friday the 13th Part 2 uh, in all of its 70 or 80s-rific glory. So, uh, yeah, I guess here's the part of the podcast where we're going to spoil the movie uh, entirely. So... Anybody who wants to go watch it, I suggest that you go watch it first before you listen to this part. Yes. All right. So, I want to start with a question. Yes. Why do horror movies always have children singing nursery rhymes slightly off-key? Slightly off-key and always relevant to the whatever horrific thing there is. Because this one opens with Itsy Bitsy Spider, as you are pointing out. And it's raining. It's raining, but specifically, like, Jason Drowned. So the itsy bitsy spider would went up spout again. Yes. You know? But like, to be clear, I haven't seen a lot of horror movies, that's the whole point of this podcast. But every trailer I've been exposed to while like waiting for my actual movie to start or like while flipping channels is inevitably some small child singing a nursery rhyme off key. That's because nursery rhymes are pretty creepy on it. And a lot of them are based on horrific things. But like I've seen it. Like, let's get some. Let's get some variety. Why does nobody ever sing "Africa" by Toto in like a because creepy way? That, how is that scary? It's not any scarier than the itsy bitsy spider. I mean, spiders are definitely scarier than. I bless the rains of Africa. You didn't even sing it right. You missed down. I was trying to like sing it spooky, but it started off like Dracula. <laughs> So now I'm just thinking about Dracula singing Africa by Toto. Do you know there's a conspiracy theory that Toto, that Africa by Toto is about werewolves? Really? Yeah. Oh, I wasn't even far off. I bless the rains in Africa. Ah, ah, ah. That was specifically the count from Sesame Street. Moving right along. (laughs) Um, So we we get an intro with, I've forgotten her name from the last movie. Oh, man. We've been through so much with Alice Hardy. Alice. Uh, yeah, Alice nicely is asleep in bed, and she really, really, really nicely recaps the entire last movie for us in a sequence that's a little overlong and shot from the third-person perspective, even though it's in her dreams. Yeah, it was a bit strange. Um, well, it's clearly supposed to be like, remember this? Remember all this? Remember well, it's all, all just this. footage from the first exactly, movie. Exactly, yeah. Um, Have that runtime. Yeah, and and I made a note, and my note, I will read it to you, says... If she dies after surviving the whole first movie, I'm going to be hella disappointed. Shall I read you my next note? Yes. Is it I am hella disappointed? She did die, and I am hella disappointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, 
Uh, Adrian King also wasn't aware her character was going to die. I know that she knew that she was not going to be getting very much screen time, but she was also disappointed. And in an interview I was watching with her, she was saying that she doesn't believe that Alice would go out that way because she was kind of like a rough, tough survivor type that survived the last film. So she was a little bit disappointed that Alice went out in the way she did as well. Um, so yeah, we open up on Alice. Uh, but also, how did Jason find Alice? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. There's so many questions. Well, yeah, because she might live. Circuit. Did he just like hoof it with Mama Voorhees' head in like a burlap sack into like just into the suburbs? It was like, hey, can you direct me and my severed head what also to implies, Alice's house? It also implies that she lives in the town by Camp Crystal Lake, which she didn't in the first film. She lived in L.A., I believe. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe Jason just took the Greyhound to L.A. to kill her. With, with a, Mama Voorhees' severed head. And a sack over his head the entire time to hide his hideous visage. It's great. Uh, but anyways, yeah, we, so we, we open on Alice in bed, and then she wakes up because the phone is ringing. She goes to check the phone, and it's her mom. And her mom's worried about her. And Alice is all, you just gotta let me get my life back in order the way I want to get my life back in order, Mom. And then uh, she goes takes a shower, and... When she gets out of the shower, the phone rings again. She goes to check it, and there's nobody on the line. It's just silence on the other line. And then she's like, oh, noise. I will grab this knife. And then it's just her kid. Well, she's through the window. It's an uh, ice pick that she grabs. Oh, I thought it was a period. Don't ask me why that's sitting on her counter. I didn't see any ice for her to pick away at, but it is an ice pick. Maybe, maybe she got relocated mob style. And that's, she's living in witness protection somewhere. Do they leave ice picks with witness protection? If you're a mobster, yeah. That's the best tool to stab people in barbershops with. Well, it's certainly the best tool to assassinate Trotsky, but that's a different podcast. And it's the best tool to assassinate Alice, too, because after the cat spook, she puts down the ice pick and opens up her fridge. And what awaits her in the fridge but Betsy Palmer's severed head? Oh, no. And then she gets an ice pick in the temple. Oh, no. Yes. And that's the end of Alice. And then it cuts to some jacked-up truck nonsense driven by a young Kevin Bacon wannabe. A Kevin Bacon wannabe? He has the same haircut. That's, uh... But he's less Kevin Bacon-y. Oh, that's Jeff. Yeah, Jeff is Kevin Bacon wannabe. Jeff was Jack in the first film. That's how memorable Kevin Bacon is as an actor. He was not in that film very long, and I remember who his character's name was. That's because he's Kevin Bacon. But I couldn't remember this guy, his, this news hat-wearing guy. Yeah, anyways, they drive into town, and they, they go to make a phone call to get directions. Um, in a phone booth that's really awkwardly kind of placed in the middle of, like, the side of the road and kind of a vacant lot. Like, I don't know. That was very normal in the 80s, though. Was it? I, I Phone booths were gone by the time that I yeah. lived. <laughs> Uh, I still know where there are a couple here. Um, but anyways, I really enjoyed the truck being towed in the background while they don't notice. It was really funny because I didn't notice it until you pointed it out. You started laughing and you pointed and I was like, what, what? Oh shit, their truck's getting towed. And for a second, just because of how like unfocused it was on the truck, it was very focused on their conversation. They're, they're talking to some friend. I think they're talking to Paul, are they? They're getting directions. They're getting directions to this new campsite, right? Because they're, they're going to be new counselors. Uh... Jeff and uh, Sandra? Sandra. Something like that. I think it's Sandra. Yeah, so Jeff and Sandra, yeah, they're getting in directions, and yeah, this their truck's being pulled in the background, and I thought it was a mistake, and that maybe they had actually parked the car where they weren't supposed to, and the town was towing them or something, but yeah. no, it's a part of the movie. Yes. Um, and while they're... Oh, 
I don't know if the moment's passed, but I wanted to point out that Jason is very fire conscious because he takes the kettle off the stove after killing Alice. The, the moment has super passed, but your observation is duly noted. Yes, and I just found that funny that, that Jason was like, oh, better, better turn this off. Don't want to cause a house fire. Um, anyways, uh, and so, so while they're, uh, chasing the truck... Well, before they chase the truck, we have good old Ralph ride up on his bike while they're in the phone booth. And he rides up to them, and he, uh, gives his usual spiel, uh, sand soothes for telling Doom, the usual... Saying soothes? Soothsaying. Yeah, it's not saying soothes. No, I'm aware. I was, it was, it was a twist on soothsaying. Oh my... How the turntables. Exactly. I've never actually seen that episode of The Office. I've just seen that give a lot. Yes. Anyway, so yeah. That, so then they chase after the truck. Yes, and while they're chasing after the truck, I made a note that I have no idea when it's set, but there's no way parents were going to send their kids to a camp where a bunch of counselors got murdered, like, in recent memory. And then it's very quickly established, because there's, like, a log on the road, and they're like, oh, we'll get out of our truck. Uh, that it's not actually the same camp is just on the same lake and I was like that makes vastly more sense also it's not for children it's just to educate counselors right which is which is okay but it's still like five feet from camp crystal lake so maybe find a different lake uh but anyways yeah we so we meet ted who is our new jokester of this film and he's a lot better than the last guy well ted's okay what does ted do he steals that girl's clothes while she's skinny dipping. No, 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 no. That's, that's the other guy. That's, uh... Oh, great. Oh, there's there's so many more characters in this that's one. Ted. No, it's not Ted. Uh, that was... Oh, no, that's Scott. That's Scott, yeah. Scott's the ass. Right. We don't like Scott. Ted's fine. Besides joking about getting the truck towed. But I think that's a more reasonable prank than pretending to drown or shooting an arrow at your friend. That's true. Anyways, they all start getting the, uh, the introduction... Paul starts... Yeah, they make their way to camp, and uh, Paul starts talking to all the counselors. And there's a lot of them here. Well, it's a training place. Yeah, but, like, I was looking out over the crowd of people, like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to remember all these people's names. No, because they conveniently remove half of them from the campsite. Yeah, they do. Um, During his intro spiel, uh, Ginny drives up in her not-really-working car. Her beat-up Volkswagen Beetle is very clearly having car troubles, and you immediately know that that's going to come back and it's going to suck for her. And uh, it's it's during his intro speech that I believe Paul says something along the lines of, the misuse of knives and axes is the cause of most camp injuries. And I'm like, eyebrow raise, eyebrow waggle, knives and axes, most camp injuries, slasher I mean, film. I think that's just true, though. <laughs> it is just true, but I, I don't know. I found it a little wink-wink. Yes, and and then he and Ginny have a little conversation about, like, don't be late, and they're shown to be an item. Uh, and then he goes back to his speech, and he's like, by the way, this is also bear country. And he specifically tells the women to keep clean during their menstrual cycles, and I don't know what kind of male fucking gaze advice this is, but, like, my guy. I mean, just last episode, you claimed to smell blood. Yeah. So. Periods have a smell, dude. Yeah, I'm saying. Like... He's saying to watch, to clean up after the menstrual cycle because bears. He's worried that, like, bears will smell them. But I'm aware that that's insane. I'm aware. Don't, (laughs) like, do you know how uncomfortable that is if you don't do anything about it? I can't say I do. I would be lying if I said y'all. There's no way any lady is going to be like, yeah, I'll just uh, just let that free flow. We'll just. 
you know. Not with bears around. There's, like, it was such unnecessary advice. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> like oh my gosh. Anyways, after, after Paul tells women what to do with their bodies, uh, we learn that Ginny is majoring in child psychology. And that's kind of driven home on a couple different conversations, which sort of alludes to a tactic she employs a little bit later. Uh, we learn she's into child psychology, and then we kind of skip on to night as all of our uh, cast is now here. And Paul's telling everybody around a campfire on their first night about the, the, the Jason timeline. And it's really, really bizarre. Which is not at all mentioned in the first movie. No. So. As I mentioned in the first part of this uh, episode, the chronology of Friday the 13th had to do some interesting uh, acrobatics in order to make part two make sense. Yes. And Paul just really drives it home. He's like, oh yeah, no, Jason was definitely lived and definitely saw his mom. And I'm like, how do the people of the town know this? How do they know this? None of the people in the town... Like, even knew Jason's name. There was, like, a boy drowned in the first one. And now suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, the legend of Jason. Like, what? Yes, I don't know. Um, I enjoyed how he was like, I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. And then he's like, so there's this whacked out conspiracy theory. Let <laughs> me tell you. Um, yeah. Then the whole thing turns out to be, like, a setup. Yeah, um, Ted jumps out with a an actual spear, I guess, and a Halloween mask to yes. scare them. Um. And then he's like, okay, nobody else say anything about Jason. We've yeah, had our fun. That's enough of that. And then they're, like, hanging out at night. They're, they're doing the hanging out thing. Yeah. Um, and it was it was funny because Ginny is playing chess with Paul. Yes, she is. And she wins very cleverly. Yes. And Paul just looks so confused and offended. <laughs> like, what? I also... I'm, put- I'm sorry. Like, he looks he looks like a really proper, like, British person. Overheard somebody insult the queen. Well, he just knows so much about ladies' periods that he's really frustrated that that he lost chess to. But I, I put a uh, note in here that always in films, and I've, I play chess a lot, and always in films, people win chess with a dramatic checkmate in a way that the opponent does not expect or understand. Most chess games divulge into one side chasing the king around until they finally get the checkmate. But in movies, it's always like, Ha! Checkmate! The other person's always like, what? I have I have known I'm going to lose a chess game, almost every chess game I've lost, except for my brother, because my brother, for those of you who don't know, is like getting his PhD and is super smart, but I never see his coming. So I do do the dramatic, like, wait, what? But only when I'm playing with him. All right. Name dropping Johnny. Hey, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> Name drop. I was just, I was, I, was, I was expressing that I could empathize slightly with the like dramatic checkmate not seeing it coming i don't i always am like oh yeah you're i I know i'm gonna lose like pretty immediately generally about halfway through the game i'm pretty sure i'm gonna lose if i'm gonna lose um anyway that's what i have to say about chess yes anyways and then uh paul comes to hang out with jenny in the room and there's some kissing and then ralph is watching them for some reason crazy ralph um and then ralph 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 gets garroted, garroted, garrot, piano wired. He gets hitmaned. He dies. Yeah, he dies. And I just want to take a moment to say that I am so glad that there are no Debras or Brendas in this film. 
I was half expecting to look at the IMDb page and be like, shit. But no, there are none, which makes me so glad because now I can finally be free of the Debras and the Brendas. It's okay. This is when I point out that while watching the film when Ralph first appeared, you said, hey, look, it's Frank, with extreme confidence. <laughs> you know what? I, I, Ralph and Frank and Brenda and Debra, I, I can't deal with, and Rhonda, fuck. Anyways, um, Ginny comes out on her, on her porch and like looks around and goes back in and there's like, a POV camera, which is like it was clearly supposed to be like Jason watching her. Yeah. Except every time there's a POV shot, there's like three whole ass leaves in the way. So if there was a person there, they'd be so obvious. It's like, hello, let me stand in the perfect center of this hole in the leaves and stare at you. Yeah, but you don't you don't understand. He's wearing a sack over his head. Natural camouflage. Mm, well, you know. <laughs> uh, I should also point out that the. Costume for Jason in part two is very reminiscent of The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which was a movie that came out a little earlier. Literally, the only difference is the plaid looks a little bit different, and there's only one hole in the sack instead of two. I have a, I have a question about his outfit, actually. Like, if he's been living in the woods this whole time, where did he get denim overalls and plaid and good hiking boots? From Blue Notes. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, don't mind the sack in my head or my severed mama's head. Well, he took a whole, I just need some overalls. Well, he took a greyhound to L.A. to kill Alice. So I don't know. Maybe Jason's a really high-functioning citizen when he's outside of Camp Crystal Lake territory. I don't territory. think he's high-functioning anything. Well, he might be. I don't know. High-functioning at murder. High-functioning murderer and shrine builder, as we'll see later. Yes. Anyways... The, the Kevin Bacon wannabe. <laughs> Sandra and Jeff uh, decide that they're going to go visit the old Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, Jeff's not too into the idea, but Sandra's like, I gotta see it! And Jeff's finally like, fine. So yeah, they go there, and they find uh, what appears to be the corpse of Muffins. Muffin? Just muffin. Is it just muffin? Oh uh, yeah. So there's a dog in the campsite that belongs to what's Terry? her face, Terry. Yeah, named Muffin, and it's a cute, it's a cute little dog. And they come across this uh, this this body, and that's actually before that scene. We see Muffin uh, run off into the woods and find Jason, and the scene ends with Muffin looking up at Jason and whining, and Jason staring down at her. And then the next scene. With them in the lake, uh, going to Camp Crystal Lake, they find a dog corpse and are like, oh shit, and it's clearly implied that it's Muffin. Uh, and then a cop shows up. Yeah, and he's like, what are you kids doing? And he takes them back. Well, I don't think he sounds like a hick, but... Um, and then Paul is like, I'll talk to you later. Uh, and the cop's all, like, upset. And then, as the cop is leaving... Somebody runs across the road. Hey, sees, sees a guy on the road and then, like, just bail into the woods. And being... At first, I was like, really? You'd, you'd pull over and chase after some... But if I was a cop and I saw a guy standing in the middle of the road with a sack over his head and then he just bailed into the woods... In an area known to have, like, 15 unsolved murders? Yeah, I, I guess there's that, too. <laughs> Man, being a cop around Camp Crystal Lake must be so stressful. Um... We soon find out how stressful it is. Yeah, I, I've noted that the cop is really determined to catch up, but it's a good way to get lost. Like, he has to have no idea where he's going by the end of this, because there's, like, zigzagging. It's a long like, chase scene. Like, it, like, complete with, I think, two breaks where he, like, is out of breath, and then he gets up and keeps going. Somehow, psychically knowing where Jason's gone, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know, because, yeah, we don't see where Jason has gone after he disappears off the side of the road. We just see the cop running through the woods. Yeah, uh, anyways, the cop eventually ends up at the old cabins, and he's looking through, um, and then he gets... But specifically, it's it's not like the cabins at Camp Crystal Lake. It's like Jason's weird, like, shanty cabin in the middle of the woods. Which is heavily implied to be one of the Camp Crystal Lake cabins. 
Is it? Yeah. I don't think it ever is. Yeah, because he says the whole place is condemned now. The cop earlier. Right, right, right. But it's a but it's way far away from the main camp. I don't think so. I mean, we're never shown actually where it is. Well, according, I, th- I think it's the Camp Crystal Lake. According to the Friday the 13th video game, the Camp Crystal Lake map, I believe, uh, that Jason's cottage is, like, a ways away in the woods. I call it a cottage. Like, it's nice and rustic. He, like, rents it out as an Airbnb when he's not there. Yeah. When he's off to L.A. to go kill Alice, he rented out Anyways, an <laughs> the, the cop uh, is struck in the back of the head with the spiky end of a hammer. Yeah. Uh, after he, he goes into the cottage, again, cottage, it's a shack. It's a shack. Uh, he walks into the shack and he's digging around and he opens up a door and looks clearly horrified, having discovered something. And uh, then he, yeah, he gets a hammer in the back of the skull. Yes, and I'm, I must be really in a Trotsky mood because I noted that that was a very Trotsky-esque way to go because it was almost like getting an ice pick to the back of your brains. Getting a hammer to the back of your brains. The spiky end. I don't know. I'm just thinking about in, mur- how Trotsky was murdered today, I guess. Apparently in the sense that they both got stabbed with an object in the head, I guess. Back of hammers are very similar to ice picks. No, not at all. They're curved, and there's two the points. The kind of ice pick that Trotsky was in the 1940s, though, was like a climbing ice pick. Okay, well, I don't know. curved and pointy. All right. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. I only know about this movie. Trust your historian. All right. Uh, so... Yeah, cop dies. Uh, so I guess he's the only cop in the town. So now our now our our campers back at the camp are without cavalry. Yes, and uh, Terry decides this is an ideal moment to go see. Well, yeah, she goes off looking for her dog, which is implied again that uh, is dead because they found in it, a dog corpse in Camp Crystal Lake. So she's like walking around calling for Muffin, 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 and then she sees the lake and then she's like, oh, better get naked. Yes. It was actually quite funny watching Tom in the scene, I just want to say, because uh, you were watching and you were like, Tom, go skinny dipping. Oh, she's not wearing a bra. Oh, she's getting fully naked for this. Okay. And it was funny to me because it was like, what did you think skinny dipping was when you said that, babe? <laughs> I don't know. Putting on a, putting on a nice uh, swim, pair of swim trunks. Then it wouldn't be skinny dipping. No, I know. Just be swimming. I'm, I'm more. So yeah. Anyway, she gets, she gets, she gets full naked and jumps in the lake and starts swimming around by herself. Who do people skinny dip on their own in the middle of nowhere in a lake? I don't. I don't know. Have any of you viewers ever or listeners ever been hit by this urge to go skinny dip on your own in the middle of nowhere? If so, why? And was the moon full that night? Hey, Thomas, if they want to tell us they're skinny dipping on Full Moon Stories, how should they reach us? Oh, right. So, yes, I was incorrect last time, and it's not the Scaredy Cats podcast. We are Scaredy Cats, the podcast, not the Scaredy Cats podcast. So, scaredycatsthepodcast at gmail.com. Or, as always, you can comment on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube, or reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, soon-to-becoming Tumblr account. Uh, yeah. Do you skinny dip by yourself? Why? And Why? is the moon full? This is a key part of the Is question. the moon full? Yeah, because midnight, soon, midnight moon madness. Yes. Uh, anyway, so she skinny dips, and then uh, we see somebody grab her clothes from the shoreline. Yes. And it's implied that it's Jason. Yes, but then we find out it's only Scott. Scott being a dick again. Mm. Right, and so she's chasing him down. Um... 
And then he ends up in a snare. Yeah, one of Jason's snares. And neither of them are really concerned. They're just like, he's like, come down. And she's like, fine. But like, nobody's like, why is there a snare yeah. in the middle of our road? She, she, she capitalizes on the opportunity and is like, are you going to be less of a jerk if I cut you down from this very well put up snare in the middle of the woods? And he's like, yeah, I promise I'll be better. And she goes, neat. And uh, goes back to camp to grab a knife to cut him down with. Yes, and uh, then we cut to the rest of the crew who've gone to the local bar for the evening. Not but, not yet, actually. Yes, uh, they have. No, before we do the bar, uh, we see Scott dangling upside down on his own. And uh, he hears somebody walking up and he goes, yeah, Terry, is that you? Is that you? And then, nope, it's Jason. And Jason is not here to cut him down. He's instead here to cut his throat. Yes. And uh, slits Scott's throat as he's hanging upside down with the machete and leaves him hanging there. And yes. then we go to the bar. Oh, also, just before we go to the bar, I want to point out really fast that as Terry is, like, going back to her cabin, she just, like, chucks her towel into the woods like, yeet! Won't need that again! In, not only into the woods, but into the camera. Like, it was it was very, very strange. Yeah, it was... It was a strange moment. Anyways, Don't uh, want that towel no more. We go to the bar, back to the days of small-town road safety when seven people can just be, like, kind of standing up in the bed of a truck as it rolls into the parking lot. Yeah, and, uh... A couple people stay behind, uh, most notably... Well, specifically, specifically, uh, uh, what's-her-face and Kevin Bacon wannabe, Jeff and Sandra... Yeah, Jeff and Sandra are behind? They're behind as their punishment for going to Camp Crystal Lake. Right, because they, yeah, they went to Camp Crystal Lake, which was strictly forbidden at the start of the film by, um, by Scott? By Paul, dude. Paul, right. There's no Scott in this movie. Yes, there is. Is there? His throat just got cut while he hung from a snare. Great. We just talked about him. Oh, yeah. Man, that's just how unmemorable he was. <laughs> I totally forgot that Scott was even in this movie. He just died. Um, um, so, yeah, they stay behind. And, and Mark and Vicky stay behind. Yes, and Mark and Vicky stay behind. And Mark's in a wheelchair. Yes. Uh, and seems really into his job. He's like, I'm here to learn how to be a counselor. And they're like, we're going to the bar. Do you want to come? And he's like, I'm here to learn to be a counselor. I'm not going to the bar. Yes. Although I got the impression that could also just be like the complication of getting him to the bar. Well, and he does say that there's nothing less fun than a drunk in a wheelchair. So, yeah. yeah. So the boys are arm wrestling. And then uh, as soon as we stop talking about them, I forget the news immediately. Sandra pulls... Jeff is sad. They're all such memorable characters. How could you forget them? For some sexy fun times. They've got such great personalities that are very, vi- very, very vibrant, and they're given so much characterization. I'm being very sarcastic. Uh, we don't spend a whole lot of time on any of these people beyond yeah. their, like, one or two interactions with one another. And then uh, Vicky is flirting with Mark via a, like, proto-hockey video game. Yeah. And I just want to say... But that was the most awkward way I have ever seen hockey used for flirting. And as a Canadian, by God, I have seen hockey used to flirt a lot. Like, watching hockey or playing hockey or making hockey references. And that was by far the most awkward one I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. All she says is, like, I like the one with pucks. And he's like, you mean hockey? And she's like, yes. And then he's like, what should we play for? And she's like, positions. Yeah, but it's real awkward the whole time. You're right, that is a little awkward. Now that I say it out loud... (laughs) Mostly because I'm flirting with myself over here. Uh, yeah, it is a little awkward. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so they're playing for positions, and uh, Sandra and Jeff decide to go and get their freaky on upstairs. Yes. And then we cut back to the bar, and it's Paul and Ginny and the red-headed dude. Ted. Ted. And they're, they're chatting, 
and Ginny is like, but what if Jason is still out there? Like, he's a child who saw his mother. And I found this really interesting because it's like, she's actually a child psychologist. And they're like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, she, she straight up gives a psych profile, like lays it right out for Jason and, and Pamela. She's like, and this is what their motivations would be. And this is probably what they were feeling. And everybody's like, oh, you. Ha ha. Yes. Which is actually pretty standard if you're a woman who's an expert in your field and there are two guys standing with you. Well, but also to be fair, she's talking about something that's a legend of the area, right? And she's trying to talk about it like it's a real... She's saying that, like, hypothetically say he existed, this is what happened, and they won't even entertain that idea. And I'm just saying, like... That's fair. That's as, fair. as somebody who has been a, a, a female expert in a field, it is true. When there are two guys there, they will totally disregard anything you're saying, even if it's in hypothecals in the field you've been trained with. Hypothecals? Hypotheticals. I was wondering. I was like, <laughs> I, are, there. I was like, are you reaching deep for some academic phrase to purposely go above my head to make your point? No, I just, I just <laughs> can't talk. Anyways, I'm just saying that is a very common experience among non-men. All right, that's fair. Anyways. That sucks. Yes. Anyway, anyways, uh, we cut we cut back to uh, Jeff and Sandra, and Jeff is engaged in that timeless. Timeless pre-sex courtship ritual of playing harmonica. the harmonica. Sweet, sweet blues. Oh, yeah. Um, Billy Joel's Piano Man, except only the harmonica parts. Yes, and so they, <laughs> they start getting it on, and then we cut back downstairs, and Vicky goes to her cabin to, to, to freshen up. To switch underwears and squirt perfume on her panties while she's wearing them. Yes, and there's a lot more getting naked in this movie than the first movie. Yeah, it's very much... With a significant amount more naked. Yeah, I, yeah. A significant amount. Anyways, uh, Mark hears a noise and rolls out in his wheelchair to investigate. I think it starts raining at this point, and there's, like, thunder. And he hears a thunderclap, and is like, Vicky, is that you? No, he hears a creak on the... Uh, I thought it was a thunderclap, and I was like, Vicky, is that you, goddess of thunder? No. Uh, no, he hears, hears the porch creak, and he goes outside, and he's looking, and uh, it's like back of his head, and then his face, and then the back of his head, and then his face, <laughs> and then the back of his head, and then there's a machete in his face. Which is funny, because the angle it comes at is kind of strange, and like, I don't know, to me there's absolutely no way that Mark wouldn't have seen Jason tunneling up to him with the machete. From the direction that the blade came from. It was very weird. Yes. Uh, but anyways, and, and then, then... he rolls backwards down the stairs. Hilariously, the best part of the film, with a machete in his face, rolls down a random set of stairs that we have not been shown to be in this this campground yet. And he just... And he rolls... T- it's, it's, it's like something out of Looney Tunes, honestly. I, I laugh pretty hard. There could be some, like... While he, like, rolls down the stairs. And it's kind of mean, because he's like... A disabled character who rolls down some stairs on his wheelchair with a machete in his face, but it was just, it was funny. It, it is. Maybe I'm a jerk. Place. It's funny. No, it is. There's a certain tonal shift that <laughs> achieves. Especially because it doesn't even finish with him crashing into anything. It like stops, freezes halfway down the stairs, and does like a weird transition fade out. Yes, uh, and fades back in to Jeff and Sandra, who've just finished the deed. Yes. And they're, they're snuggling. And then somebody. With overalls that we have seen before. Oh, Jason. Yes, I was being I was being coy. <laughs> oh, got it, got it, got it, coy about it. Got it, got it. For do, our listeners, you know who's not coy about what it is they like to do? 
Jason? Jason, because he straight up takes that spear from earlier that they were scaring the camp counselors with, that again is for some reason a real spear, and turns them into a human shish kebab because they're lying on top of one another. But like very undramatically. Like yes. he holds the spear and it cuts to her terrified face, and then the spear it's just like the shot under the bed of the spear hitting the ground. Yeah, as I mentioned uh, in part one, that is the scene that was originally much, much, much more graphic, but they decided to cut it to try and avoid an X rating. Uh, and it ends up making that kind of disappointing instead. So, yeah, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, rip. There goes those two guys. Um, anyways, and then, and then Vicky comes looking for Mark, and she doesn't hear anything, she doesn't see him, so she's like, I better go check upstairs. Um, and then she opens the room, and she's like, Sandra, Sandra, is that you? Sandra? She's like, Sandra, is she, <laughs> it's... It's not Sandra. Sandra, Jeff, what, what's funny to me is the lights are off, the covers are up, so... If it wasn't a horror film, and we, we know it is, then those two people would probably be sleeping. And she decides to just wake them up by walking in and saying their names repeatedly and walking up to them. And she also knows that they're going to be post, post-coitus. She's aware and decides to walk up to them anyway and pull the blanket off. I don't know. If you feel something's wrong. Did she feel something was wrong? Yeah, because she was, like, point? looking for Mark, and, like, everybody had suddenly stopped all I guess, the noise. I guess the lights if, are all still on. Yeah, I guess if Mark's gone, because yeah, where is like, he going to go fast? I mean, and, like, to, to be, I felt it was a weird enough situation that, like, I would also be like, hey, guys, like, we Gucci? Oh, you keep saying that, and I hate it. Tom doesn't like Gucci. I don't. He's I, not Gucci with Gucci. It's a dumb phrase. I hate it. Anyways, uh, um, so, so Vicky goes upstairs, and uh, it's not Sandra in the bed, but Jason wearing a sack. And this is the first time we see Jason's face. Well. Like, besides, like, in the deep. We see his eyeball. In the background. Sack. No, no, no. I'm saying that, like, we see his head. We see his head sack. Oh. This is the first time, really. Because most of this movie, J- most, of, most of Jason's screen time in this movie is done from the neck down. Yes. Um, and he catches her in the leg with a knife, and she backs up right into the fresh body of Jeff, and then just screams for the world's slowest approach to stabbing. Yeah, and it's not even slow motion, like, stylized, it's just a slow, drawn-out scene. No, she sits there for a solid, what must be 15 seconds, screaming while he slowly approaches her, and she's standing right next to a door. Yeah. And she's just like, no, no, don't, wait, stop, ah! And Jason slowly walks up to her and gives her a gut stab. Yes. Stab, stab. Um, and Paul and Ginny get back, um... But just before they do, we we can see uh, the body being dragged down the stairs. Yes. Um, and I was really indignant about that, because I was like, that much fresh blood would leave a mark on the stairs. And then Ginny goes upstairs and immediately finds all the blood in the bedsheets. And is like, the fuck? She's and I was like, like, okay, that's they're, valid. They're both like, something's fishy here. Yes. Hmm. Uh, and in fact, it's so fishy that when they go back downstairs, Jason's still there. Yeah, him and Paul get into a wrestling match. Uh... And this is, it's pretty funny because in Friday the 13th Part 2, Jason is is but a man. He is not a supernatural force of nature. Like, he comes to be somewhat, but, like, Paul is able to wrestle him to the ground, and they, like, exchange blows. In later Friday films, such nonsense, Jason will not suffer. I see. Anyways, uh, Paul goes down pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Ginny is no help. She's sitting there like, Paul? Paul? Paul, the entire like she's not worried at all as this bagheaded man. It doesn't. It didn't. Tra- uh, it, it didn't read, track for it, me. It read as worried, but unsure what to do to me. <laughs> to me, it was just like Paul. Paul, what are you? 
Paul, what are you doing? Uh, anyway, she goes, <laughs> she goes into the other room and she's kind of like, she's holding the door shut and she's reaching for the window. Um, and then the window broke and there was a Jason there and I did not like that. Well, the window didn't break of its own accord and Jason wasn't standing. Jason smashes through that window. Well, obviously. Uh, tries to grab at her and uh, she manages to barely kind of escape. She runs out of the cabin or she runs into a different room, I think, and climbs out a window. Jason starts to smash down the door. Uh, before she comes out the window, though, she is holding a knife at the door, and it is framed exactly like The Shining, which came out a year earlier. Oh, yeah. Cool. Like, it, the, the camera angle, the way she's holding the knife, it, it, even the way her hair is arranged is exactly the same as The Shining. Exactly the same as Jack Nicholson's Here's Johnny? Yeah. All right. Nice. Well, Oh, you mean with Wendy? Like, yeah. like with Wendy when yeah. she's against the wall screaming and then yeah, yeah okay. It's yeah. framed exactly the same way. I did not notice that. And then she's out running, and she runs through the exact same puddle that the cop and Jason ran through earlier. And it's remarkable how everyone finds this three foot patch of water in a whole forest. Yeah, and well, she makes her way to her car first and uh, tries to climb into her car and get it started. But of course, we all know her car sucks, and so it's not starting. And then Jason catches up with her, and after trying to grab at her through a window, he ends up on her roof with a pitchfork, stabbing through the roof of her beetle down at her, trying to uh, rip, rip, rip his way into her. And uh, she, pretty funny, uh, funny enough, opens the door on him, and he, like, falls over like, ooh, you got me. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, she runs. She, she ends up at the same cabin that the cop died in earlier. Before that, though, I think she actually ends up in a different cabin, uh, and hiding And then she finds a chainsaw And she starts up the chainsaw And I'm like Oh yeah Fuck yeah Chainsaw And she holds it up And Jason's like Oh no And starts to do like The cowering thing And she knocks him over And seems to knock him out And then she drops the chainsaw The chainsaw had stopped working Oh did it? It hit him and stopped So she uh, cuts him a little bit And oh, then okay. the chain breaks Worst chainsaw ever um, Anyway Actually a lot of chainsaws Have features where like If they detect that it's like Skin it stops not Leatherface's chainsaw. Well, that was a less technologically advanced chainsaw. That's in the Chainsaw Massacre, right? Yes. In Texas, specifically. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That one. Yes. Not the Wisconsin Chainsaw Massacre. There's so many these days. That's a much more polite affair. Uh, so. Are you playing that Wisconsin is politer than Texas? I was... I don't know. I was... I just pulled the state out of my head and... And it was really, Wisconsin? And, well, and really, a lot of things are much, much more polite than the Sawyer family from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Much more polite. They're degenerates. Very good. Do you know I only realized the other day that Minnesota is not, in fact, in the middle of the United States? I didn't know. I, I honestly couldn't tell you where it is. I, I failed that. It borders like Michigan. I fail the 50 states game every time. I'm crappy at that. I always thought it was, like, by Kentucky. It's not anywhere by Kentucky. I have no idea. So anyway, uh, leaving Jason on the ground, uh, she throws the chainsaw out of the ground, and uh, then she runs through the woods and comes upon the Jason shack. Yes. Chateau de Voorhees. Yes. And in the middle of Chateau de Voorhees is a very Edgenian shrine. Yes, it is very Edgenian, with all the corpses of... All the corpses that uh, Jason has wrangled up tonight... And his mom's head, and Pamela Voorhees' head on this shrine. Yes. Uh, and she's spooked by it, but gets an idea as Jason starts to uh, enter the the uh, shack and starts to come after her. She gets an idea, and she slips on Pamela Voorhees' sweater. Yes, and then Jason comes in, and she's like, 
You did so good, Jason. Mummy is so proud of you. And this is where normally I'd be like, how does she know? But it is established a bunch that she is a child psychologist. So even though it might be a little bit of a stretch, I understand why she's trying this tactic. She's aware that Jason's an uneducated rube and probably won't realize. But also he's crazy enough to build a shrine of his mother's severed mummified head. So, hey, who knows? But he also didn't attend school and learn his maths and, you know. No, he was a crazy woods person. Apparently. Um, Anyways. Yeah, so she has a cha- she has a machete she's hiding behind her back, and she's standing in the way of Pamela's head. So Jason only sees her in the sweater. He doesn't see the head, so he's not able to be like, wait a second, my mom's there, not there. And uh, we get actually uh, Betsy Palmer's appearance in this movie is a... Like, sort of a layered video over Ginny. As Ginny's talking, Pam, uh, Pamela Voorhees is also talking. Yes. Um, and Jason, come here. Come here. And, and, kneel and down. She, she convinces Jason to come over and to kneel down, and she lifts the machete to do something. To whack him with, I assume. Well, yeah, but I don't know if she's trying to head him or what. But uh, the, the movement causes her to move... Out of the way of Pamela Voorhees' head, and Jason sees it, and he's like, you're not my mother. Yeah, yeah. Jason goes, I've been bamboozled. Yes. And uh, he brings up his pickaxe just in time to deflect uh, Ginny's machete swing, and that is the shot where he hurt his hand. Ah. She missed and, and cut his heart, hand originally. Gotcha. Um, so she cuts his, she, she ends up blocking, um, and then he knocks her over, and just as all hope seems lost. We get a DSX Machina in the way in the a DSX Paulina DSX Paulina DSX Machina in the form of Paul as he jumps into the room clearly not dead and uh, tackles so, Jason over. Though to be fair, I did make an earlier note that that was an extremely short death on Paul's part for someone with no weapons, and I was actually quite incensed that he died so quickly. So he died actually, in a wrestling match. Yeah, and it wasn't. Even died in a wrestling match it was that like it takes several minutes to choke someone out so it was like the fuck Paul so I, I actually felt very gratified by this because I was like ah that was deliberate good oh. job <laughs> he didn't actually just asphyxiate in three seconds yes and uh, could you imagine that would be such a terrible human flaw if we could asphyxiate in, in three seconds I would die because I sometimes forget to breathe I think, like I think I, probably most people would die if they if that's how fast it took to choke humans out Yes, but, like, I just straight up forget to breathe for, like, yeah. a minute at a time. But I also think that, like, every human being has been denied air for some reason or another That's at least true. once in their lives, so... That's true. Anyways, um, they're they're wrestling, and Ginny gets them shitty. Right in his shoulder. Swings it deep. Uh, like, several inches deep. Like, she would definitely have hit some... Some, some vital bits. Some vital bits. And, he, and, and here's where we enter into the Jason is not a man. He is a creature. Yes. Um, and then he falls over and they kind of pull his mask off. And they're apparently more alarmed by his face than any of their dead counselors. Yeah, it's pretty funny. They don't really mourn their buddies at all. It's more like, oh, that guy's ugly. Yes. <laughs> um, and then, hey, they go through that puddle yet again. Yeah, that, hey, consistency. We're, we're showing that puddle. We know that. We, we know in our heads where that puddle is. No, we don't. I you do. just know that puddle is in the woods. It's on the way to Jason's house. Yeah, well. And they get back to the cabin, and then there's a noise. They're like, oh no! And they're like, duh, duh, duh. And then uh, Ginny gets the pitchfork, and she's lying back on the bed holding the pitchfork ready up. And Paul takes the end of a shovel. The other end of the pitchfork, it snapped in half. Yeah, all right, it's like the handle of the. And 
To be fair, the wood bit would be pretty splintery, and you could still fuck somebody up. But that's not how he's holding it. He's holding it like he's going to bludgeon him with the metal part. I don't know. I don't know. Bad weapon, Paul. He's had a bad day. Yeah, but no excuses. Bad weapon, Paul. Anyways, they open the door, and it's just Muffin. It's just Muffin! Muffin didn't die, I guess, so it was some other dog that died in Camp Crystal Lake. And I guess Muffin has just been wandering around. Doing dog things. (laughs) Doing dog things. Um, And they're like, oh, it's Muffin! (laughs) And then Jason bursts through the window. Yeah, and he's all ugly, and this is the first time we get to see his actual face. Because when they pull his mask off in the shack, they it's off-screen, and they react to his off-screen ugliness. And uh, they couldn't end the movie without showing us his on-screen ugliness. So yeah, he bursts through the window, and he grabs a hold of Jenny. And it's very, very reminiscent of the first movie when he bursts out of the water and grabs Alice in the canoe. Right. Except uh, he grabs Ginny and starts to pull her out the window. And like the first movie, that's... Not resolved. It just cuts to her being loaded in an ambulance yeah, the following that's morning. that's really weird. Uh, it Well, because the first one, at least, it was, like, clearly a dream sequence. And the cops were there. Yeah, but it was clearly a dream sequence. Whereas, like, the this ending seemed like they just ran out of ideas. Or they yeah, didn't know what, what to do it? next or something. Because, yeah, literally it, it, like, slowly freeze frames as she's getting pulled out the window and Paul's freaking out and Jason's, like, blah, grabbing her. And then, yeah, next scene is her getting loaded into the back of an ambulance the next morning saying, where's Paul? Where's Paul? And they're like, we don't know. We don't know. Loading her in the back of the, uh, back of the ambulance. Very weird. Uh, so the ambulance takes off and then uh, it fades out and we enter back into Jason's shack. And the camera slowly zooms in on all the dead camp counselors lying around the shrine and zooms in on Pamela Voorhees' severed head. And originally, the ending was supposed to be that the head would open its eyes and grin. And that's what I was expecting. I was bracing myself that whole time. I was like, oh, here it comes. Here comes here comes the last jump scare at the end of the movie, which has gotten me in every other freaking movie so far. And it didn't. But they actually filmed it. Uh, they had a lady, and she got all dressed up in, like, prosthetic, and she was all ready to do it, and she opened her eyes and then grinned and stuff, and they shot it, but they just decided not to go with it for some reason. Um, I don't know. So anyway, uh, that was Friday the 13th Part 2. That's how it ends, is with uh, our final girl getting loaded onto the ambulance, and uh, weird ending. It, it was weird. It's, it's weird. I never, I didn't remember it being that weird, but it was very, very kind of strange. Um, anyway... So now's the part of the podcast where we assign our ratings for the film. Um, so I guess first we will go with how well made it is uh, on a scale of 1 to 10. So, Vicky, how well made was this movie? I'll give it a 7.5. I felt it was better than the first one. Uh, the lighting for sure. Like, I could actually see. An extra $500,000 sure made a difference, eh? Yeah. <laughs> like, I could actually see what was going on, yeah. which was nice. There was, like, some interesting uh, attempts. I wouldn't call it cinematography, but there were some attempts mm-hmm. at cinematography. Yep. Um, so, you know, it was, like, I'd give it a seven and a half. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I'd agree with that assessment. I'd give it a, I'd give it a seven. Solid seven. Uh, it's, it's campy. Haha. Uh-huh. Uh, Obviously, it's a uh, it's an older kind of slasher film. Some of the stuff that they do is dated, but I mean, all the kills look pretty good. And uh, I think my biggest gripe, the only reason why I don't give it anything higher, is because that ending is not ambiguous to me. It's unfinished, is That's how fair. I would describe it. Yeah, because I've I've heard it described as ambiguous, but I would say it's it's unfinished. That's fair. So, how scary did you find it? 
Well, how much did we enjoy it first? I wasn't aware we had to do it in the same order every time. Well, I don't know. If we break order, the world might collapse. Wow, we have a lot of power in our little podcast. Well, the podcast is just you and me. So we're the whole world of this podcast. So we make the rules. We are the gods. Good recovery. Thank you. But yeah, so on a scale of 1 to 10 for how much I enjoyed it, uh, 5. It, I don't know. Again, much like the first one, it's just slasher movie. I don't know. It's it, do, it doesn't devolve into the like absurdist kind of fun that the later ones do. And as far as slasher films go, it's not like the epitome of greatness. And again, that ending just bugs me. So as, as a storyteller, that ending bugs me. So uh, yeah, five out of ten. Okay. I would give it a four. Four, yeah. Because like, I enjoyed certain callbacks. Like, I enjoyed the Shining reference. I enjoyed the Ed Gein reference. You know? Sure. I enjoyed the really awkward hockey reference. <laughs> um, mostly because I thought it was really funny. Yeah. Because it was so awkward. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the stairs falling down the stairs death seat is, like, worth a whole two points on its own. It's true, it is. That's A+. Plus. Okay, so now how scary did you think it was? How scary on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh three it's it's gory uh so it does get a couple more points i think over its predecessor i think i gave the last one a two I don't know. uh a three is what i'm giving this one it didn't spook me all of its uh big scare beats are predictable for somebody that knows the slasher genre so you're prepared for them you know they're coming when they happen nothing is surprising and uh i didn't really feel dread at any point so yeah three for me i'd give it a five yeah I was spooked. You were spooked? It spooked me. Yeah. What was the spookiest part? Um, I really have to think about it. I do have to think. It was because I was spooked a lot. That's the whole point. Probably the waiting for Merc to die, because I knew it was coming. Like, I knew the way the camera was coming, but I didn't know how it was going to come. And it was just stressing me out the whole time. Merc? Wheelchair man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I thought you were meant Scott, but uh, I was happy when Scott died. But yeah, yeah, that that's fair. Uh, that one. And then it's immediately hilarious, so I don't know. Talk about a roller coaster of emotions. So, yeah. Good tunnel shift. Yeah, so that was uh, our episode on Friday the 13th, part two. For our next episode, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from the slasher genre. Uh, from Friday the 13th, and we might return eventually one day to part three where Jason finally gets his iconic hockey mask. Uh, for now, we're, we're, we're trying something different, and we're going to watch Gerald's Game uh, based on the Stephen King short story by the same name. It's a Netflix movie. Uh, so that will be our next episode for you guys to look forward to, so stay tuned to that. In the meantime, I am Thomas J. Sopvet. And I am Vicky Sopvet. And that has been Scaredy Cats. Thanks for listening. Be cool to each other. Thank you.